0: I think I've told you about my inabilities at baking before. I think we talked about that last time. But I am not a good baker. I can grill things because all you have to do is burn it long enough it doesn't burn all the way. So I can grill. Uh, but baking is uh, a challenge because you have to follow a recipe. So I was sick one time. And you know how when you're really sick you don't want to eat? I've actually been that sick. I know looking at me you wouldn't think that, but it has, been, it has come to that before for me but you know when you're really sick and then you get your appetite back because you're starting to get better and you just want to eat all the things. Like any, uh, you just get random cravings for anything. Well, I was feeling better one day and I wanted pancakes. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll make some pancakes. And we had, um, a, oddly enough, a recipe from a yogurt company, like where you would like substitute their yogurt in for whatever dairy thing you were. So I went to make it and I'm cooking them. And they're really beautifully thick pancakes, you know, like nice and big and thick. And I'm thinking, this is great. And uh, they're also really firm, oddly firm, and and growing thicker and firmer by the moment. And I'm not burning them. And I don't know what's going on. So I'm putting these aside, and my wife's letting me do this. She's kind of watching me, and I'm talking and doing two things at once, and I'm flipping these out. And I get the whole, I get halfway through, And you know, you're cooking them and you have to eat one of the ones that's cooled off. That's just required. And I take a bite and something is odd. (laughs) I don't know what. And I was like, Robin, would you come taste this? And she's like, That is you are that is something went wrong when you made that recipe. And I'm like, I don't know, I followed this is the thing. I do this where I don't follow the recipe. (laughs) And I I say, Well, I I followed it, and then she so she goes through, she says, Did you do this? I said, "Yeah." Yeah, did you do this? Yeah, did you do this? Yeah. And I said, she's like, are you sure you didn't forget the baking soda or the baking powder, whatever it is? I said, no, no, I look. And I grabbed the jar and I'm like, look, I know it's this one because it's got this little flat edge that you use to s- flatten the thing off. And she looks. And she's like, that's baking powder. You needed baking soda. Or it was, I don't know which one it was. But I put the wrong thing in and it like cemented the pancakes. It was terrible. And they were horrible and they were gross and it was bad. Okay, so we're going to use the picture of a recipe as our kind of idea to bring together what we're going to do today in this text. So we're again going to go through like three chapters. (laughs) Don't worry, we'll make it. But what we want to do is we want to walk through the life of King Asa. So he is, we've had bad king after bad king. There's only been two in Judah. This is going to be the first good king. So today we can actually look at this king's life and get like excited because he can teach us something. He can be our example. And the overall picture, the overall idea of what happens during his reign, I would say, is reform. He takes the wicked practices that his grandfather and his father cultivated and poured out and and affirmed and taught and, and made into law. Like he took those evil things that his parents and grandparents had made the country follow, and he turns them back. And so the text tells us a lot about this. You know, it says how he comes to power, what he does first, what happens in the middle, and then how he ends. And it's noteworthy what the Bible points out here that it doesn't have to point out. It could have just said, Asa was a good king, he reformed, he ruled for this many years, he ended on a low note. And the text could have moved on. But God, through his Holy Spirit, saw fit to include all this info. And so I think what we could see here if we're looking at the reforms, we could see um, this is like the recipe for a lasting reform. So today I think what we can pull is a recipe for lasting reform. But just like my recipe, if you get one of the ingredients wrong, the final product won't turn out well. Or if you skip a step or forget an ingredient, the final product won't turn out well. The text today will say this is a recipe for lasting reform, but if we miss any of these steps, the change will drop off for a time in our life until we come back at it. Now, I also want to say before we dig into this, that this is the Old Testament. I I said this maybe the first week, but I just want to reiterate, we're not Israel. (laughs) I don't think we're Israel, and so this text was written to Israel. It was a record of their king, but I do think we can find principles of truth, and we can pull those into our day. So what we're going to do is try to pull out the principles that could help us, but we're not claiming any promises or prophecies to Israel. Okay, let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to, like, dip in and read a little bit and talk and read a little bit and talk, and that's how we'll proceed. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I pray that today, Lord, we really would see all of the ingredients uh, for reform in our life. And, Father, I pray that we would see the good principles in these texts that would help us to understand how change can be lasting in our life. Lord, I pray that as we walk through these different ingredients and we see um, the elements that are within them and the actions we need to take and the, el- the, the focus we need to have, Father, I pray that we would be thinking about our own hearts and our own lives, and, and we wouldn't just be thinking in the abstract, you know, our, the, these are the ideas for reform, but I pray, Father, we'd be thinking about our own life. If we're trying to change, if we're trying to be more like you, and we're stuck, is, is perhaps one of these ingredients missing in our life? And Father, if we've walked with you in a way that's been pleasing and we think we're growing, Lord, I pray today that we would see these in the text. We would see where these are in our life so we would know and be assured this is how it works and that we would continue to be faithful to obeying you in these areas. Father, most of all, I pray for your grace right now. I pray that uh, you'd help me to be clear. I pray that those who are here would be able to understand and comprehend. And I pray, Father, that through your spirit we would be illuminated and convicted. Uh, the truth in this passage. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears> 2 <throat> Chronicles 14. So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then his son Asa reigned in his place. In his days the land was quiet for ten years. So the rest of chapter 14, we're going to see our first, what I'm calling an ingredient for reform, and that ingredient is the actions. Of reform, You're going to have to have action if you're going to reform something. And right off the bat, the text points out that Asa did two things in, in tandem. He did two things, and they're like twin actions. The first is removal, and the second is renewal. So he removed stuff, and then he renewed things that had fallen by the wayside. So the actions of reform, I think, in chapter 14 are renewal and removal so let's see those in action so right off the bat in verse 2 we get this uh, good report about Asa we have not yet heard a king in Judah described this way other than Solomon and David the, this is the first we've had two bad kings Asa is taking a different path than his father's it says Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God Why? What did he do? Well, here's the first action, the action of removal. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places. He broke down the sacred pillars and he cut down the wooden images. Now, if you skip down to verse 5, there's one more comment about removal. It says he also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom was quiet under him. So the first task he sets his hand to when he inherits the throne is to go and find where idolatry is taking place and to destroy it and remove it from the land. He starts in Jerusalem where the temple is. Now remember his father and grandfather and actually his queen mother had set up abominations in God's temple. Near the Holy of Holies, you would have had an altar to Baal or Molech or Asherah or whatever. And uh, I know one of his fathers, I think one of his fathers was into astrology, and so there were some of those symbols in there. And so here, Asa says, this is not right. I've read the law. I know what God requires, and this is sin. It needs to be removed. And that's the first thing the text points out. Now, the text could have pointed many things out, but it leads off with removal. I do think that in the process of change as a Christian, even today, this is a principle that I think is true. I think it's timeless. I think that if we want to grow, we have to remove sin that's in our life by any means necessary. Now, I'll get to that in just a moment. I want to hit the other action first in the text, and then I'm going to jump to a couple of New Testament passages. Now, it says in verse 3, he removed, he broke, he cut. He's like really tearing the place up. And then what did he do in its place in verse 4? It says, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to observe the law and the commandment. So do you see he removed something, but in its place, he said, we need to get back to obeying God's law and seeking God, not seeking these idols or these wicked gods. He doesn't just like take out the wickedness and then leave this vacuum, like an empty spot, an empty place. Um, it's like that story in the New Testament where they drive out a demon and nothing else comes in. I think it's a parable, and then seven more demons go in because there was no one inhabiting the house. It's like the same idea here. Asa's not content just to rid the idolatry. He knows there's a requirement that people are currently disobeying. And so he removes the wickedness, and he renews the pattern of obedience that they were supposed to be following. Now, we don't follow the law. They were supposed to. That's how they interacted with God. Christ came, that all changed but there's still the principle here that they're obeying God in the requirements God gave them when before they weren't. So the text is going to go on to say that this was a good reform. This, this took place, this, or this uh, was a lasting reform. So I think that anytime we want to change, it would be the same for us. We would want to remove sin and then we would want to renew our walk with God in the requirements he has for us for daily obedience. So, you don't have to flip here, but I'm just going to show you that I think this is true in the New Testament. So I'm going to flip over to Ephesians 4, and I just want to read a few verses here. Paul, talking to these Christians, says, you know, you should not live like a Gentile lives. You shouldn't live like an unbeliever. You should live out what God has done in your heart already. And so he says uh, in verse 17 of chapter 4, he says, I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk like the Gentiles do. And he describes them. It's not a good description. And then down in verse 20, he says, but this is not the way you learned Christ. This is not how you got saved and came into knowledge and fellowship with God. What happened to you when that happened? It says, if indeed you have heard like in the past you heard of him, you were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you already have put off concerning your former conduct the old man that you are needing to be renewed in the spirit and that you have put on a new man a new person who's created in the likeness of God you almost see the same idea you're putting off something at salvation you put off your old life but in its place something else came a new life in Christ through the spirit so something else takes its place now When Paul then tells the Ephesians, this is how you live every day, the daily pattern mimics what happened to you in salvation. Look at verse 25. He says, therefore, putting away lying, so get rid of lying, wipe it out, be like Asa and rid your life of lying. He says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, and he tells you what to put in its place. You should be speaking truth. Then he talks about how your mind is renewed because you don't lie to each other because you're brothers and sisters in the congregation. Down a couple of verses later, in verse twenty-eight, it's even more clear. He says, "Let him who stole—that you're a thief. Okay, you steal for a living." He says you need to stop stealing. He says, "Let the one who stole steal no longer, but rather, as in like in its place, what should you do? Let him do. Uh, let him work with his hands, doing what is good." that he may have something to give to him who is in need. So do you see how Paul says, get rid of your stealing, but he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, don't do this. He says, what's in line with the Christian life? Well, when you're stealing, you're living for yourself. You're you're fully selfish at that point. Instead, you should work really hard so you make extra money so that, instead of giving it to you and spending it on yourself you have some to give away if someone has a need so do you see how paul is saying the part the sanctification of our life is getting rid of those old practices rooting them out in our life and then it is making sure we're doing what god's calling us to do right now remove and renew your obedience i'm seeing it here in colossians chapter 3 it's the same thing in galatians 5 there's a similar parallel I think the New Testament plan of sanctification is very similar to the kind of reform we see in the Israel kingdom, Israeli kingdom of Judah under Asa. So I think the principle we could take is that we also, if we want to reform our life, now we don't have the kingdom of Israel, but if we want to reform our life, if we want to change, we should always be removing the sins from our life and renewing our obedience with God. Now look at what happens. This is great. Verse 6 he also, when it says re- that he renews the covenant, they, he says uh, he, he implores the people in verse 4 to seek the Lord and to observe the law, and then it says more about what he removed. In verse 6, it shows what Asa makes his, uh, his task at this point. Like, what does he busy himself with doing? It says, and he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore, he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars. While the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears. And from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows bows and all were mighty men of valor so he had an army of almost half a million half a million 480,000 now it's really interesting that the text just kind of inserts that this he builds up these towns with walls and he kind of has this army that he's built up well what was the responsibility of the king the responsibility of the king was not to live the party lifestyle It was not to indulge in his riches. It was not to take advantage of his position of power for himself. It was to do the duty of shepherding and watching over God's people. And so what was one of the duties a king should do? He should have his defenses in his kingdom ready to go. And so Asa removes the wickedness, he renews the covenant, and then he gets to work doing the tasks God called the king in Israel to do. I think that this is a really good picture of one of the ingredients of reform. There needs to be actions. You need to remove things. You need to renew things. Now, here comes a test. And this is a pretty big test. And it's neat because his father and his grandfather faced similar tests. They faced outside armies coming to invade. Now, watch how Asa handles this test. Verse 9. Then... Zerah, the the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marashah. Now, uh, I, again, math is not my thing, but it appears that for every soldier Asa has, the enemy has two, and on top of that, he has 300 chariots. Now, a chariot back then would have been similar to, like, a tank today. Um, when you have, like, a couple of horses and a giant armored cart coming at you with people with spears and you're a foot soldier, you're not liking your odds at that point. It's not a, you know, no one's like, oh, you guys can take the infantry, I want to take the chariot because that's going to be the easy win. No one's doing that. So this is a formidable army is what the text is pointing out. This is not like some little wimpy army that he could have squashed anyways when the children of Israel, when Judah's army sees these people coming, they know they're in trouble. They know this is bad. Now remember, these are the people who have come out of years of idolatry, years of trusting in idols that Abijah and Rehoboam had taught them to lean into, to trust towards for salvation, for for being saved in situations. And here's Asa He starts the kingdom off. He says, we're not going to serve these gods. We're going to get rid of them, and we're going to start obeying, and we're going to build up the kingdom, and now he has his first test. What will they do? Will they stay true to Yahweh, to Jehovah, or will they turn back to their idols? Verse 10, so Asa went out against him, and they set out with the troops in uh, in the battle array at the valley of Zephanah at Marashah. Verse 11, and Asa... Cried out to the Lord his God. And he said, or and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with the army or with those who have no power, help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So Asa does the right thing and trusts in God. He calls out to God. Now, imagine the um, encouragement as a troop or the leadership you would experience as like an army person, like one of the warriors. And here's your king crying out to Jehovah, saying, we're your people, you're our God, Lord, help us to prevail. That was not just doing the right thing, that was leading in the right way with the right example to the people. And so God takes care of them. Verse 12, so the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and his people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover. For they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away much spoil. They defeated all the cities around Gerar. The fear of the Lord came upon them. And they plundered the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil for them. They also attacked the livestock and closures and carried off the sheep and the camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. So if you think about an army, there's always supply lines. Okay, if you have a million-man army, how many goat burgers a day do those people need to eat? You know? Or how many sheep burgers do you got to make for that army to keep them fed? Well, you got to bring all those flocks with you. And so when the army flees, the servants who are hanging out with the animals and the supplies, they're not, they're not thinking they're going to hang around either. They're all out of there. And so when the, when the Judah army comes over and wins and God gives them the victory, he also blesses them with a lot of loot and spoil from this. And so think of the people. Here they are. They had a test. They could have turned back to their idols, but they chose to continue the removal and stay renewed and trusting in God, and God took care of them, and he provided deliverance for them in a huge way. Well, let's think about our own lives. Is there maybe an area in our life where we are trying to renew our obedience, trying to walk with God, but we're kind of allowing this little sin over here uh, to kind of exist? Maybe we're not watering the sin, we're not cultivating it, but we're definitely not trying to cut that thing out of our life if you were to just try to obey god and not try to walk like not try to rid yourself of the sinful practices your reform isn't going to be lasting i think part of what the text is pointing out here is that he didn't just go back to worshiping god and ignore the sin he told the he told the country get rid of the sin and worship god and it's those two things together that made them pleasing to the Lord, that show, or made them to live in the way that pleased the Lord. And so what about your life? Is there an area where you need to be ridding yourself? Or maybe, maybe you're walking with God for the most part, but you're, maybe you're not sinning in, in, a, in a obvious ways or even little ways. Are you seeking to obey God? Are you doing the good? Um, God calls us to live a life of selflessness. He calls us to live a life of service. Are you serving? Are you serving your fellow believers? Uh, I think that this text would encourage us to inspect our lives and say, you know, is there an area where we need to get rid of some sin? Are there areas where we're not choosing to obey God that we know we're called to obey him in? We know it in the scriptures. We know this is what we're supposed to do. Consider today if God is speaking to your heart about that. So Asa is a good example for us here. He shows us the actions of a successful reform are removing sin and renewing obedience, and then when you're tested, staying faithful to God. What is the next big ingredient I think we see for reform? Because under Asa, the country really does stay close to the Lord. And I really do think this is not just a flash-in-the-pan reform. Remember Abijah. Remember Rehoboam. They started off strong, and then after a little short time, I think it was three years for Rehoboam, it wasn't that long for Abijah, They turn back to idolatry, and the reform didn't last. Here, it's going to last for many, many years. What's the next big ingredient that if we don't have this, our own reform might be in jeopardy? In chapter 15, I would say that the source of reform is the next thing that's important. We need to have the right actions, but we need to have the right source of reform, and that source is a heart that seeks after God a heart that seeks after God is the source of the reform. This is not an external thing for Asa. I do wonder a little bit if Je- if Rehoboam if it was a little bit external and with Abijah I think it it definitely was external. I think they did what they knew they should do, but I don't think inside of them in their inner persons, they were really sold on following Jehovah. So, look in chapter 15. So they have this win I mean, this is like a mountaintop Christian, well, Israeli experience, okay? They were all going to die or go into captivity. And the army comes, and God smites the army, and they survive, and they have a bunch of plunder. This is like a moment of deliverance few would experience in their lives. And look what comes right then. Who comes on this scene? Verse fif- or chapter 15, verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, And he went out to meet Asa. And he said to him, now, the Spirit of the Lord comes on someone and Asa just had this great victory. What do you think that person is going to say? Asa, I'd like to talk to you. You're an amazing tactician. Your strategy in that battle of yours was awesome. Wow, you guys are the best army. That might be what you would expect someone to come and say to the commander of the army or the king of the (coughs) army after a battle where they won like this. But that is not what this guy says he says, hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you, and there's our word there, seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So essentially, a prophet comes right after this victory and says, Asa, I have a message for you. Seek the Lord. If you are with him, he will be with you. But if you forsake him and you stop seeking him, he will forsake you and he will no longer be with you. You know, that's interesting because this is a moment where Asa has obeyed and the people have obeyed. And in spite of great danger, they obey and they, they stay faithful. And then the Lord delivers and the Lord prospers them. And you would think they would be sitting around saying, it is right to to serve Yahweh. There is a reason to this. We do need to trust in him. This is the right thing to do. Man, we're so glad we trusted in God. But when the prophet comes, he comes with a warning. Right on the top of this grand obedience, he comes and warns them. I think many times, like, when I go through a situation where I'm, like, tempted and then I obey God, I think I get into this, like, congratulatory mode, like, oh, man, yeah, I was, you know, I didn't steal money today, yes, you know, or I didn't do drugs today, yeah, you know, whatever it is I'm trying to make, you know, even the, the things you actually ma- maybe you don't deal with those, I don't necessarily deal with the drug thing or money, but but whatever your sin is and you say no to it and you just kind of congratulate yourself, yeah, prophet comes and from the Lord says, listen, seek God. It's almost like a warning. Don't, re- don't sit here on this victory, this moment of obedience and say, oh yeah, I got it made. I don't need to worry. I'm, I'm good to go. No, stay faithful to seeking God. And so Asa doesn't, doesn't respond like, you know, snarkly. Be, imagine like being a sports team and you you beat this team that you never should have beat and some some other uh person from the stands comes up and says hey i just want to let you know that um you need to keep practicing you need to you just need to work really hard you need to be careful like they start warning you'd be like who are you to lecture me i just beat the best team in the world why are you talking to me like that so but asa doesn't have that heart He's not prideful or arrogant. He is humble to God's word and he listens. Now, notice it says, for a long time, and this is where Azariah makes his point. He says, for a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priests, and without the law. When they're in trouble, but when they were in trouble, they turned to the Lord the God of Israel, and he sought and sought him, and he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace, and no one went out, or anyone came in. But great turmoil was on the inhabitants of the land. So the nation nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with adversity. But you be strong. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. He's encouraging Asa as the king not to give up like his dad did and like his grandpa did he's saying be faithful keep getting rid of the sin and keep renewing your walk with god and make sure you're obeying from your heart he's essentially saying make this thing real don't just be going through the motions don't just be doing it externally make sure this is real inside of you that you really believe this that you're really committed to jehovah you're not just doing this and so Asa responds rightly. In verse 8 it says, When Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage, and what did he do? He continues the reform. He continues. The text says he removed, so that's like the fifth, fourth or fifth time we've seen removed, Remove the abominable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin. So now he's expanding the removal from not just the city and the town surrounding it, but to all of Judah and Benjamin. He is really just wiping the idolatry out of the country all the way to the borders it says from the cities which which he had taken on the mountains of ephraim and he restored the altar of the lord that was before the vestibule of the lord now now before i said he renewed the we need to renew because he renewed the covenant but what does he do here he renews god's altar the worship of yahweh he brings it back he makes it more he continues to enhance it and keep the people driving toward obeying god so you still see this Remove sin and renew your walk with God. His looks different because he's in Israel, we're in the New Testament, but it's the same principle, I believe. Goes on to say that then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord their God was with them. So all the faithful uh, Israelites come down to here where they're actually following Yahweh or Jehovah. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month in the 15th year of the reign of Asa, and they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil that they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and all their soul. I think the second key ingredient here is that you're, you're changing for the Lord, is that you're seeking God from your heart, like a fully seeking him from your heart. You're not just going through the motions. You're not just like, yeah, I know I should do this. Like, You long to know the Lord. You're committed to this. You're going to keep going no matter what. And this is Asa. This is Asa in, in this time in his reign. And, and they even said that whoever, verse 13, whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Now, I don't think we need to enact that part of this because we're not in the covenant like the Old Testament. We have grace and the Lord and Christ has come and died. So this is a little different situation. So If you're ridding yourself of sin and you have a fellow friend who's a sinner, I don't think this means you need to go off and uh, off them. Uh, This is the Old Testament covenant law. It's a different situation. Verse 14. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, with ram's horn. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with what? Their heart. To what? To seek him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. And then just as an aside he goes on to point out one more thing that he renewed as he was driven from his heart to serve the lord it says and he removed Ma'akah, the mother of asa the king from being the queen mother because she had made an obscene image of asherah and asa cut it down the obscene image and he crushed it and he burned it in the brook kidron and the verse 17 is a little bit cryptic it says but the high places were not removed from israel Nevertheless, and what is the key word here? The heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and he himself had dedicated with silver and gold and utensils, and there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So I think the second key ingredient here is a heart seeking after God. The first are the the actions. You have to be removing sin. You have to be renewing your walk with God. But the second key ingredient is that your heart has to seek God. You have to be doing this from the heart. Now, it says his heart was true to God all his days, and I do believe that's true. I think he ends, though, on a note of sin. Now, I do think, like, you can be a believer, and you can commit sin and not repent of that for a time and still be uh, a believer. I don't think that causes you to question your salvation. Um, But here, I think the the final ingredient we would see that we need if we want lasting reform is we need caution. So we need the actions, we need the right heart, and we need caution. And I think here is where Asa becomes a negative, like a bad example. So Asa, for 20 years now, has had peace and prosperity because God delivered him and because he obeyed God. His heart is loyal and true to God. And now another test happens. Remember, early on, the Ethiopians come with their million-man army, and God delivers them. Now you have a different situation. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 16, the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came against Judah. And then it says that he built a town right on the border called Ramah, so that you couldn't cross between the two cities, or between the two countries. Now, pause. We don't have, our, we don't have a map, but remember the pretend map over here? The northern half of Israel is now called Israel, and the southern half of Israel is now called uh-huh. Judah. Judah's where Asa is. The king in the upper part of Israel, where the ten tribes are, Baasha, he gets tired of all these believers, like followers of Yahweh, we'll say, like uh, emigrating down to the southern kingdom. He doesn't like his people leaving. So he builds a war, like a, a staging town on the border called Ramah. He puts a bunch of army there, He doesn't let anyone cross the border. It's kind of like the North Korean, South Korean border with all the troops. It kind of makes that in effect. He doesn't want people um, defecting over to that other country. And then he starts to get hostile. I mean, honestly, let's imagine this. Canada, okay? Let's imagine that Canada builds a whole bunch of bases, military bases, on our northern border. Okay? So you live in Minnesota, and you find out that there's like a million Canadians on the border in tanks and jeeps. And trade with Canada hasn't been going too well, let's say. Okay, what do you think is going to happen? Why would Canada put all their troops right next to our border? Well, maybe they're going to invade. I mean, I think that's a logical inference. We would say, wow, they're amassing troops on the border. I wonder if they're just going to sit there and look across the border for fun, you know? No. <laughs> you you know this. is So Asa figures this out. He knows it's hostilities going on between the countries. He knows he's not letting people cross the border. And he sees the army building up and he knows this guy's going to attack me. What happened when the Ethiopians attacked in chapter 13, 14? He called out to God. What happens this time? This time he's not being cautious, he's not being careful to follow God. He's getting a little bit spiritually lazy, a little bit self-centered, a little bit prideful even maybe, and he takes matters into his own hands. It says, verse 2, Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries in the house of the Lord and that king's house, and he sent them to Ben-Hadad, an, uh, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. Now I'm going to skip the whole next section just to tell you what happens for time's sake. So down here in the, in the south is where Asa is. Right here are the ten tribes, that's where Ba'ashah is. You've got that border town with all the military. Asa down south says, this guy's going to attack me. I'm, I'm just going to deal with this myself. He sends um, a bunch of money all the way around this country up to the north to Syria. You know that little adage, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Well, he didn't like the Syrians much, but he paid the Syrians in the north. He paid them. He said, look, let's, be tr- let's have a treaty you attack my enemy right here, please, up on the north border, and then he'll leave me. And Ben-Hadad, who probably wanted to attack Israel anyway, said, so I get to do what I want to do, and you're going to pay me to do it? Yeah, I'll do that. And so Ben-Hadad invades the northern part of the ten tribes, Israel's country. Now Ba'ashah has to vacate that military border town he made, and he's got to go head north to take care of his own problem. And so Asa's thinking, ha Stata, uh, strategist, I just totally won the day. I got this. I saved my people. No problem. Remember, the law said a king could not make an alliance with, an, with any nation, but God had to, had to protect them. Asa didn't t- trust in God here. He didn't turn and cry out to God this time. He took matters into his own hands. Verse 7, and at that time, Hanani, now I'm, I want to pause real quick. Remember, Ethiopian Zerah comes. He goes and fights the battle. He wins, and then the man of God comes and gives him a warning. And how does he respond? Humbly, and by trusting God and obeying. Here, there's a threat. He takes care of the threat himself, and now God will send another man of God, a prophet, to him to give him another warning. But how does he respond this time? So Hananiah comes. He says, Hananiah, the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and he said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Now, he wasn't trying to fight the army of Syria. He was trying to keep from fighting the army of Israel, but God is saying, I would have given the army of Syria into your hand one day, but because you have disobeyed me, he's escaped you. Verse 8, Were the Ethiopians, you know, 20 years ago, were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered you. Verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on those whose heart is loyal to him. You have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Now, how does he respond? Man, this just reminds me of myself when people rebuke me. I have a friend come up to me and tell me I'm sinning, and I'm not, I'm rarely I'm, my first response is, well, thank you for pointing out my faults to me, brother. I'm so thankful you did that. That was very helpful. I, I, I look at this, and I think, oh, I'm like Asa a lot of the time. Maybe, maybe you can identify with that, you know? Someone goes to correct you, and you just get ticked off at him. Look at what Asa did. Then Asa was angry with the seer, or the prophet, we might say, and he put him in prison. Now, I've never put someone in prison for giving me, you know, critique of my character, but that's what Asa does. <laughs> For he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Asa really gets indulgent here. Gets very self-focused and prideful. He begins becoming his own king, doing what he wants, and not trusting in the Lord. And so at this time, he will never have peace again in his kingdom. The final five years of his life are are years of war. All that peace he had was because he was obeying God. Now as he sins and doesn't turn from his sin, He faces war after war, after battle, after battle. And then it it gets even worse. Verse 11, note the acts of Asa, first and last, are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. That'd be like first kings, or second kings. And in the ninth year, the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. So this is his last two years now. For three years, he's had war. And now the next two years, he'll have war and a foot disease. He became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe, yet his disease did not in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but he sought the physicians. Now I want to say I don't think it's wrong to go to a physician at all. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think it's saying he tried to solve the problem. It wasn't like he was unaware of it. I mean he was going to the doctor, but he would not seek the Lord. I think there's something going on here with Asa. I think he's mad at God, maybe. I don't know. He's he's unwilling to to submit to God and do what God wants. Even in this situation, he will not humble himself and turn to God. Verse 13, so Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David, and they laid him in a bed which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared with mixtures of ointments, and they made a very great burning for him if we're going to change, you know, when we're walking with the Lord, we're going to face temptation to sin. And if we allow sin to remain in our life, we will not persistently change. We'll just stagnate. If we attempt to rid our lives of sin, but we don't renew our obedience in God, we just want to not sin and just kind of do our own thing, well, we're actually still sinning at that point. We need to say, what are the things God is asking me as a Christian in 2018? What am I supposed to be doing? What is the instruction to me from God's word? And if we are unwilling to push forward and renew that obedience, we won't have lasting change. If we decide that we want to change, but we're not truly in our heart desiring it, we're just doing it because we feel pressure from other people, or we think this is what we're supposed to do, or, well, people in my church would think this, then it'll never persist because we're not truly changing because we know we ought to we're changing because of pressure we're changing because we want to look a certain way we're changing because we want to fit in with church people we're not truly changing from our heart so you need to remove the sin and renew our obedience we need those actions but when we do those it has to be from our heart but when we're doing that and god is blessing and we're obeying him we can never let our guard down against temptation The temptation to sin is ever-present. The temptation from our flesh is always with us. And so you can never really coast. You never really sit back and relax. You always have to be on guard against sin. And today, Asa is a good example of those first two ingredients to the recipe. But his recipe for reform only went so far because the last ingredient, being cautious and careful, watchful in our walk, he he kind of abandoned that one and just gave up near the end. So think about your own life. Is there an area where God is calling you to obey him that you're not? If you want true change, you need to obey. Is there an area in your life where God is just clearly convicting you, this is sin, you know it's sin and you're not doing anything about it? If you're unwilling to do anything about it, you'll not have true change. And if you're only going to do this stuff to please other people so you look good, I give you a year. Maybe more. Maybe you're really disciplined and you can can put on looks for people for longer. But it's not true change because it's not coming from who you are inside, from your heart, from your mind, from your inner person. So today, ask yourself, is God dealing with some sin? Is God dealing with some matter of obedience? Is God dealing with your heart? And those of you who you, you think, I think I'm doing all those things, this is a warning, a friendly, loving warning from God's word to continue being cautious in your walk with god never let your guard down you know satan doesn't ever stop trying to get us to sin never stops trying to get us to sin so we need to always be vigilant to walk or watch our walk with him let's pray father we love you thank you lord for your grace in our life thank you for the mercy that you show us thank you father for sending your son to die on the cross to pay for sin in our life lord thank you that he's already dealt with any sin we've realized this morning we're committing any sin that this text has brought up you have paid for that you have died for that we can be forgiven of that right now we don't have to do penance we don't have to do work we don't have to earn it you have died for it you have taken care of it father all we have to do is turn and receive your forgiveness and then walk in this new life you've already given us. Walk in line with that. Father, pray for us this week that you would encourage us with this, that the grace that God, that you give us, Lord, would be hope for us. And Father, I pray that we would deal with the issues that you raise in our minds as we go through the texts and scripture like this. Father, thank you for Asa's good example in our life. I pray that we would seek to to be like him. In your son's name we pray. Amen.